Hi, everybody, and welcome to Behind the Curtain with Paul Listnick. Uh, so good to see you. We, we're putting the politics aside from WGN-TV, and this lets me talk about the world of entertainment and fun. And joining me for this show is the author, well, I'm saying author of a new book. The truth is you know her from all the work she's done, but there's the book. Probably shows up reverse for all I know. But Joyce Boulifant is the author of My Four Hollywood Husbands. You know Joyce because you couldn't possibly have seen a game show or a, a, a sitcom uh, in the 60s, 70s that she just wasn't in. My favorite, and everybody's favorite, of course, being the Mary Tyler Moore show when she played Marie Slaughter's wife, Gavin McLeod. So, so sorry. We lost him recently. But Joyce, what an amazing career you've had. So thank you for spending time with me. Well, I'm very happy to, and thank you so much for inviting me to spend time with you. So before I talk about husbands and whatever, there's one story. It's early on in the book. It absolutely cracked me up. It's the last thing you expect me to ask you about, but it's the first thing I'm going to ask you about. Okay. And it's the story of you being a, you're a young actress on stage with Edward Everett Horton, <laughs> and you had a job to do, and you met. And you messed it up. I love that story. Can you just tell it? Well, I was terrible. I, I At 14, I was doing summer stock as an apprentice. And I did everything. I swept the stage. I did lighting. I learned everything about the theater and how to clean the toilets in the theater. Anything to be on stage. And I was playing a maid, which I did a lot. And Everett Everett Horton was in a more serious play than he usually did. And he said to me, it was a Sunday matinee, and he said, Joyce, when you give us the, the drink, the make-believe wine that we have at the end, uh, would you mind putting it in the refrigerator? Because there are flies, and you leave it out. There are flies in it. I'm choking down flies. I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Horton. I'd be happy to. So that afternoon, I got to the theater really early, swept the stage, checked the lights, checked the doorbells, did all the stuff. And I uh, then I had to make the wine and I went to get the food coloring because that's what we use for wine. There was no red food coloring for the wine. And I panicked. There was nothing in there. Everything was dried up. And I didn't know because I was so young that it could have been white wine, but I didn't know that. So I went out to the prop shop. And I climbed around and the cobwebs and everything and this moose head hit me on the head and then came down a box of grape jello. And I thought, that would be great. So I went back and I did all of the wine glasses, there were about six of them, and I filled each with the grape jello, made a great color and put the sure. water in, put it in the refrigerator. As long as you don't refrigerate it. That's what he said to do. So I came out as the maid, and it was a very wonderful speech that he gives at the end of the first act. And I'm handing out the wine to everyone, and they all, when he finishes, they all make a toast and drink down what they thought was wine, and this glob of jello hit them in the face. And Everett Everett Horton was so upset with me. He literally tied me to a tree out in front of the theater. You wrote that in the book, and I thought, so you that wasn't a metaphor. <laughs> he tied you to a tree. <laughs> That's absolutely a true story. But he was a dear man. He stayed the following week. I got to do the lead in a play, and he stayed to watch me in it. That was really sweet. And wrote on my program, 
but I can't find the program. And it was such a wonderful thing that he did, even after he tied me to the tree. <laughs> he, you know, you, you talk a bit about him. He's the early part of the book, but he seemed kind of, I, I mean, I never knew the man. And of course we know him from so many of the characters and things he played, but um, he, he like, he was demanding of you. Wasn't he sort of like iron my shirts and. Oh yeah. Well, that was part of my job as an apprentice. I had to, <laughs> I had to iron his silk pajamas that he wore. Yeah. yeah, that was part of a costume, you know, so I did everything. And there was this old broken ironing board in the boarding house that I was staying in. And I burned a hole right in the seat of these silk pajamas. I mean, I... I really messed up that poor man's life. <laughs> it sounds like you were Lucy before Lucy. You know what? My husband, William Asher, who directed Lucy, mm -hmm. we were married. All these kind of things happened to me. And he said, God, I thought I directed Lucy. I didn't know I married her. <laughs> I have to ask you this question. The book is called My Four Hollywood Husbands, which said to me you structured your, your story and your life as you told it around these men in your life. And I was curious because you, st I'm sorry, but you just stand on your own. What, why did you decide to do that? Well, it's a bit of a long story. It took 24 years to write the book. And the first uh, title of the book was Home Sweet Home, Where Is It? Because I've lived so many places in my lifetime. At age 50, I sat down at the kitchen table and thought, I'm going to see if I can remember because I have a really good memory for detail of houses and things. I had lived in 50 houses in 50 years. And now I'm in my 80s. And I've probably lived in at least 75 houses. Wow. And so the gist of the book was explaining the homes, why I moved, what they looked like, what I felt like. And I worked on that for a long time. And then Roger and I were married, the love of my life. Well, I loved all my husbands. But he's number four. He's number four. He comes in at the end. Yes. And um, he, um, I got a call from a friend who's an author. And he said, Joyce, have the title for your book. And I said, what? He said, my four Hollywood husbands. I said, Bruce, that is disgusting. <laughs> I am embarrassed about that. I would never title my book that. And a couple of weeks went by and I said, yeah, but it might sell books. <laughs> and on top of that, I thought, if I'm going to title it that, and it's going to be about my husband's, along with the background of the golden age of Hollywood and the love story with Roger, I'm going to talk about things that hopefully will help people. And so it became more a book about alcoholism and codependency and the effect that how codependency feeds into the disease of alcoholism and the effects it has on children. So I tried to make it more of a, I hate the term self-help, but in a way that, that people who are going through the web of alcoholism, that they might bring some help from it and, uh, and know that they don't have to stay, that they can go on and have a happy ending to their life. There's no question. I don't know anybody, including myself, that hasn't dealt with alcoholism somewhere in their family and having dealt with that. So that was so very important. 
Of course, I also just got wrapped up in the names and the Hollywood and the things that you've done because I started reading the book as a fan of yours. And so all of that stuff, the dependency, the alcoholism was like, oh, that was that I wasn't looking for that when I first started to read the book. And there it is. But you're right. That's how you bring people in who just want to read about you first uh, and then realize there's so much more to, to, to everybody's life, but to your life as you went through it. Uh, my my life, well, it, my life is in there, but it, of course, and and bits and pieces of my career, but not all of it. I mean, I've been so lucky to be a working actress ever since my third day in Hollywood. I was signed up at Universal for an incredible contract where I had to do a pilot every year. I had to star in eight shows and I could work any place else. It was the last of that kind of contract. And I was lucky to have been under that. Yeah. When you talk about meeting your first husband, James MacArthur, who you call Jimmy. Um, and of course, people who don't know, if you're my age, you know, but his mother was Helen Hayes. And, and, uh, but, and tell, maybe I'm just reading something that wasn't there. But I felt when you were talking a lot about James MacArthur, you, you rarely called her Helen. She was always Mrs. MacArthur. She was your mother-in-law. It's almost like you took a while to unveil who this incredible legend was. Am I making that up or was there something intentional about that? No, um, it's true. I didn't, I, I never felt, I didn't know what to call her. When, when Jimmy and I were dating, we started dating at 16. We met at 14 and I didn't want to call her well, I, I called her Mrs. MacArthur at first because that's what she liked. And um, I never thought of her as Miss Hayes. Um, she was always I'm, uh, the most special person in my life. And she became mom and went from mom, from, from Jim's mom. I called her Jim's mom. And then I called her mom when we were married. And then uh, the children called her Grammy. And when Jimmy and I were divorced, she signed her letters to me, Grammy. And um, it was the most tumultuous. God bless you. Thank you. The most tumultuous. Coffee, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, she didn't, you taught writing the book. She didn't even want you to marry him. I know. Well, I, you see, it wasn't until I wrote the book that, and I was talking to the editor one day. I, was, I do a, a one-woman show called Remembering Helen Hayes with Love. And I love talking about her today. It was this day, St. Patrick's Day, that she passed away at age 92. Oh, wow. In the year 93. She just didn't quite make the 93rd birthday. And she was very Irish, very Irish. Um, but I, I, there was a very special relationship. And I didn't realize until I was writing the book and doing the play, and I said to the editor, you know, I don't say in the play that she says I shouldn't marry Jimmy. I don't say that. It just sounds so awful the way she said it. And um, and she, my editor said to me, Joyce, that's a very important point. You've got to say that in the play. And I said, I don't know, but it makes her sound so awful. And she wasn't awful, but she was about telling me every bad thing she could about Jimmy. And I, I didn't understand it. And then all of a sudden it just hit me. She was trying to protect me from having the same life she had married to someone she loved who was an alcoholic. And I did not get that 
until that moment, which was only just a few years ago. A lot of people who think you moved out to Hollywood, life was great from birth and all that, have no idea. I had no idea. There was some time in an orphanage. Can we talk just a little bit about your childhood and the fact that it may not be what people think you lived? Oh, well, my mother and father were divorced when I was very young. And uh, my mother had to work. My grandmother worked and my aunt worked. And uh, so I was put in an orphanage for a while. And uh, it was an Episcopal, started by Episcopal women in Baltimore, Maryland, called St. Paul's Girls School. I always thought it was a school, and uh, but it wasn't. It was an orphanage. And uh, I remember I had to walk to school. I was just, I was the youngest girl there. I was just six and a half or seven. And I would walk to school in the morning. And it was, um, it, it was certainly a different way of growing up and then different um, foster homes. Um, some were okay and most of were terrible. But one, one place I stayed that my daddy, I, I differentiate the two, my biological father is daddy. And he was kind of a, a diamond in the rough. And then my dad, my stepfather, was a diamond. They were both wonderful men. And I was blessed to have my stepfather, who really, um, I just grew to love so, so much. Um, and um, it, it was a different growing up, but um, I, it's funny. I was talking to my daughter, Mary, about it recently, and I said, I, I don't remember being really unhappy. Um, I was more worried about all the other children who were there and how they were. Um, and I used to do shows for them. I mean, the, there were in some of the, the foster homes, the children were younger than I after I left the orphanage. Then I was with um some children who were younger than I. And I would gather them around and I'd make up stories. And I, it was, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't as bad as it probably sounds. Um, and maybe I just was good about coping with it. I, I had, I had great faith. I had a tremendous um, faith in someone bigger, stronger, and more powerful than I, who uh, invented this whole earth and us. And I prayed a lot. And um, do you remember the story in the book? I used to, I loved going, in third grade, I got to live with my mother in Jacksonville. And on the way home from school, she worked, and I was going home to an empty house, apartment, and on the way home from school, I would stop in every church along the way. And I, w- I would find such comfort in just going in and sitting there. And sometimes they'd be rehearsing the organ. Sometimes the choir would be singing. But I always felt per- there was a place that I was protected and loved. And, and I think I worry so. I love all religions. I mean, I, I love the philosophy is so similar in all religions. It's all, it all breaks down to the same thing, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I worry today that, that so many young people are brought up without believing 
in something bigger and greater than they are, whether it's nature, a flower, the stars, the moon, uh, to know that, that, that there, is, there is love out there. First of all, you're very detailed and you disclose a lot about those relationships, physically, sexually, and every part. The first, Jimmy, Ed, and Bill are all gone now. Did that free you up to be more, would you, if they were all still around, would you have been as direct and, and um, you know, given as much detail as you do in this book? That's an interesting thought. Um, I, I don't know. And maybe that's not fair to them. But I, um, I asked all the children, I gave them the book first before it was published and said, if there's anything in here that, uh, you object to, let me know and it'll be gone. And none of them had any objection. Um, Bill's eldest daughter, Leanne, did say, oh, I wish you didn't have to tell quite so much. <laughs> and I think, um, you see, they, they had, they had passed before the, the idea of my four Hollywood husbands even came up because that, that happened. That was mentioned to me by my friend Bruce after they had all passed. Right. And except for Roger and, um, and Roger was very open about letting me talk about his alcoholism and the fact I was so proud of him that he was sober 24 years when he passed away. And my children just respected the heck out of him because he was able to overcome um, that disease because he wanted to. He did it actually to try to make his marriage with his wife, Joanne, work out. That's why he did it. It's interesting that you say overcome because, again, having experience in my world with that, I mean, one of the things I've come to learn is that I don't know that you ever, ever overcome it. You deal with it and you and you. You can, you know, manage your behaviors, but I, I don't know. I would you would am well, I wrong? Probably, if I not, I really probably the wrong word. That's okay, the wrong we, word. No, okay, we we would agree we, on that. Um, yeah, you le- you learn coping skills, you know, and uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, and by the way, Bill Asher, you were married to him before because most people tie him to Elizabeth Montgomery in their mind and all that. But you actually maintain very decent relationships with all of them as life progressed, right? Yes. With all of them. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy and I were like brother and sister, and uh, we had a very fun relationship and, and banter back and forth. The children always loved it when we got together because there was this back and forth silly bantering. And, um, and Jimmy was very funny. You know, when he, was, when he was on his best behavior not drinking, he was so funny, and he was so... Um, gentle and sweet. And then it was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And it's a terrible disease. And I, and I mention it all through the book, I fed into that because I was a codependent person. Instead of being strong and saying, hey, if you're going to do this and act this way, I'm out of here. And it took years and years for me to get to that point where it was Dr. Marshan who said, if you want to be a martyr, and stay in the marriage, that's up to you. But you have two little children, and they are in harm's way. And, and that's, what, 
That's all I needed to hear, and I was out. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's right. And you had listen. You have a moment in your relationship with Ed, where second, where he, that's you know, where you sort of disclosed one night he was, you know, he said to you, "Maybe I'm gay, or maybe I'm not gay, or you know, just all these moments that happened, that, and you over you overcame all of them with them. Lots of disclosure, lots of details. So I really, I really, you know, I think that's really great that you were honest. But but let's go to Roger and and the thing that that you want the book to to really resonate about. Because Roger was in your life, you said it before, 40 years. So as I'm reading, I'm going, wait, is this the same Roger that we were talking about way back in the beginning? It's the same Roger. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, I had a real turning point in the book. And that, um, as far as codependency goes, that's my little dog. I I, you know what? She, I'm good with it. She was walking behind you. My dogs are right here. Oh, right now. I'm good with the dog. What, what's her name, by uh, the way? Violet, come here. Violet. Violet, come here. Violet. Come here. It's okay. Violet! I'm all about dogs, so it's all right. Okay. Good girl. Come up here. You Hi, Violet. Come here. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. There's our sweetie. There you go. <laughs> I'm not going to wake mine up. I got schnauzer, so. <laughs> oh, good. I love it. Where was I? Yeah. So, well, I talked, <laughs> I blame myself. Roger, I had sort of said it's the same Roger all the way through. And oh, yes, yes. And and a big turning point for me was when Roger and I finally got together in 2000. Um, and I said, I invited him. I was doing a dyslexia conference in Crete. And I said, would you like to go? You know, you're welcome to come, but you have to know that I'm going to be have I entertain all of the uh, researchers and the teachers and everything. I'm sort of the hostess to everyone. So I'm, I won't be able to have my focus on you. If you're, if you're okay with that, you're welcome to come. He said, sure. So the first night was a cocktail party and uh, he'd only been sober for four years. And we were, I, I sat him there in the chair looking at the ocean, brought him a Coke, and I said, okay, now I have to go entertain everybody and be a hostess. And I kept checking on him, and, you know, and yeah, and I'd bring him another Coke. And as the evening went on, he was getting a little, I could see he was annoyed. And I went over and said, would you like to go to dinner with, um, with one of the headmasters and his wife. I'd love them to meet you. He said, who else will be there? I said, it'll be just the four of us. All right. And he didn't say anything during dinner. And then he had started admonishing me and saying, how dare you have me go to a party where you just know you can talk to everybody and, and there are drinks all over. That's a slippery slope for me. And I just, and he started going on and on. And I said, you know what? This isn't going to work out. You're going to have to leave. I couldn't believe I was saying this. Oh. And he said, he said, if you make me leave, I'll start drinking again. This was the turning point. And I looked at him and I said, that's your problem. Goodbye. And I left and um, the, I spent the whole day away from him. And thought that he would be gone. And I went back to the room that evening. And he was there. And he was so apologetic. I'm so sorry. I've been on the phone all day trying to get a flight off the island. There aren't any for four days. I have tried everything. And I said, all right, you know, if you can't get off the island, you can't get off the island. And in those four days, we talked and talked and talked and worked things out. 
but he knew that I meant business, that I, I wasn't ready to go through any kind of alcohol problem again. But you that know, was a big point for me. Well, it's really fascinating. I, I, first of all, the anger is certainly part of the alcoholism. And, and one of the things that I learned going through that process with somebody was, was like, there's always going to be collateral damage. What I think is amazing, I mean, I was not able to save a relationship uh, that, got, that got, you know, influenced by that. But it sounds like maybe because you had more experience uh, than I did, you, you, you learned how to work with it. You learned how to, to, you learned how to address it. Or as you say, you learned how to cope. Yes. Well, um, what, what you, I, gosh, I went through so much. I went through, I mean, as far as trying to learn, uh, not only use, using my faith, but going to Al-Anon and then ending up going 30 days to a rehab for codependency. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much there, you know, that um, about taking care of yourself and not always um, having to give up what is good for you in order to make the other person's life better. That, that's not a good thing. And you end up resenting it in the end, too. And, and I think one of the reasons your book is so wonderful is because you didn't re- you could have called the book alcohol and alcohol dependency, right? But you didn't because what you do is you bring people in. I told you, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't address the deal with these issues in their lives. So we read this book to learn about you, who we've admired for so years. We come to learn that there's all this other stuff, but you have important messages for people to take out of it. And that's changing lives. And that's just so important. And I, and I thank you for that. Well, thank you for saying that. I'm glad you got it. <laughs> the other thing you've done to me, I'm switching gears a little bit. I'm never going to look at the players on the match game the same way again. Um <laughs> <laughs> we'll let people read the book on that, but everything from Gene Rayburn in the hallway to Richard Dawson, don't ever turn him down for a date. I mean, what a little... It's a good thing the, mean, the Me Too movement wasn't going on then. I, I was thinking about that, and I would, that's exactly right. That could never happen today. But the stuff you were dealing with, that you were trying to like avoid the hallways and the stairways. <laughs> Oh well. <laughs> but do you look back? Well, if I had been, if I had known, then maybe what I know, I don't know. I I don't I don't like hurting people's feelings, you know. So a lot of that had to do with that. But I could have said, "Hey, don't do that." But I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't want to hurt somebody, you know. I, yeah, I I think no. I think your your first point. It was a different time. It was not me too. And I just, again, I, what do I know? But I'm sort of sitting here going, I'm not sure you could have. You would have as an actress, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, you might have paid a price. Only because you hear of all the Hollywood stories where people said no to the Hollywood executives and those kinds of things, and they paid a price. And you grew up in that age. I did. I was lucky never to have those kind of experiences that some women had. But, you know, you, you, um, I also think you have to be careful not to put yourself in certain situations where that's going to happen. Yeah. I, I do remember being, not going to name any names, but I remember in between divorces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Between one and two, two and three or three and four. Sorry. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It really is. Oh, we're good. But, <laughs> um, I, in between <laughs> marriages, <laughs> um, I went to dinner with um, a rather known person who could help me in my career. And they invited me to come up 
to their apartment, which was upstairs from where we had dinner, but to work on a scene that they could have helped me with, with me. And I said, oh, yes, sure. And I never, (laughs) I don't get it. And I went up there and shortly after I was up there, I got the idea that this wasn't about helping with a scene. It was helping me with my sex life. Like I I saw that one coming. (laughs) (laughs) You saw that coming. So I said, you know what? I really should go because I have a detective following me. (laughs) (laughs) And they said, what? Okay. Night. (laughs) So, um, you can, you know, I don't know. I feel so sorry for women who've been in that position and especially women who are desperate to get a job. You know, I never felt desperation luckily because I mean, there were times it would be nice to have the money. I had two children and I was, working in order to support us all, yeah. but I, I, I'm lucky I was never in that position. I could talk to you forever, and there's probably people watching us going, are they going to talk forever? So, <laughs> but I could, because you're so fabulous. The book is My Four Hollywood Husbands. Joyce, as somebody who's just, you know, loved your career and just watched you all the time, to get to talk to you now is such a treat. And, oh, that's uh, so sweet of you, Paul. Congratulations on the book, because as I said, it's like, there's the hidden purpose. You'll buy it for one reason, but the message is going to be something else. And that's so important. And I congratulate you for it. And I thank you for sharing your I feel like, see, I know you a lot better than you know me because I read the book. You probably <laughs> know me better than I know me. <laughs> uh, well, I, I kind of know what's happening day and night with you. I can tell you that. But Joyce Wolfhunt, you're fabulous. I wish you another 80 years of performances and stage and life and television. Well, I don't want to live that long, honey. Well, I hope you do, man, because you look younger than me. So you look absolutely fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. You're wonderful, and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much.